First Peter chapter three, verse number thirteen. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. We ask Heavenly Father that you'd speak to the heart of every Christian here. May we recognize our responsibilities, reminded by this apostle, and we see that he has many friends who teach the same things. We ask that you bless our hearts this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you feel like falling asleep, you may stand. When the church in Jerusalem was... uh, needing some help in regard to their widows and orphans, the congregation set seven men to serve as servants, as deacons. There was the famous Philip and the not-so-famous Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. In Acts chapter 6, these men were identified, but not particularly described, except Nicholas, we are told, was a proselyte from Antioch. But there was one other man who was described, described in a very particular and special way. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. It is as though Stephen stood head and shoulders above everybody else in the congregation, or at least everybody, everybody in this list of seven. He was noted for his faith and his full surrender to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you suppose that we could say that Stephen was more spiritually minded than the other members of the seven or uh, the church generally? We'll table that. Let's say that the Lord has a a very special scale which he will use at his judgment seat. Let us say that on the day of our judgment... We are told to step onto this perfectly balanced scale. We step onto the scale. Once we step on, we find that it either rises or sinks inexplicably, at least as far as we're concerned. What if the Lord had a scale on which on one side our spirituality was measured Versus on the other side, uh, how secular we are, how temporal, how fleshly we are. When Stephen steps onto this device, it immediately goes up. However, when Ananias and Sapphira, assuming they're saved, when they step onto this scale, oh, it drops like a rock because they're so consumed 
with money and possessions and notoriety within the congregation. They wanted accolades. They wanted praise. They are very mm, secularly minded. I confess that most of us are more like Ananias and Sapphira. Perhaps not as radically so, but we're more like them than we are Stephen. We're more secular, more temporal than we are spiritual. What is the nature of the first specific thought you had this morning when you woke up? Uh, They're the things you have to do as soon as you get up. But I mean, the first actual thought that you had, was it uh, uh, related to the Lord? Or was it related to some sort of uh, uh, secular responsibility? Oh, this is potluck Sunday. Have I got that ready to go? Or it's Monday and you've got work that you need to do, school to start, etc., etc. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you wake up in the morning? I'm not saying that you are criminally worldly. It's just in the midst of all our earthly responsibilities, most of us have have to deliberately surrender ourselves to the Lord and actually choose to think about him and his glory because we don't go there automatically. We live in this flesh. And this flesh has demands. When you get hungry, when you get hungry, does your heart think, I'm going to spend this time in prayer and fasting for the glory of the Lord. That's not the way I think. When I get hungry, I think, that smells good. What is it? I think I want some of that. Or what's in the, in the uh, uh, cabinet there? What can I eat that's keto that still fill me up? Uh, uh, do I think about prayer and fasting? Do you think about prayer and fasting when you get hungry? Are we secular or are we spiritual? We're a combination of the two. Even when we come to the house of God, so very often we have to struggle to focus on the things of God because we live in a fleshly body and there are things of the world surrounding us and and they draw us away. Who is winning that football game? I need to check just as soon as the service is over. That sort of thing. It's natural. It's the way of the flesh. But it is not the way that the children of God are supposed to be. We are supposed to be more like Stephen, noted for being full of faith and of of the the Holy Ghost. That's the ideal. Maybe I shouldn't say ideal. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 8. The unbelievers of Jerusalem were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Chapter 6 and verse number 10. This resulted in the arrest of the man of God and his famous defense of God's truth, which ultimately ultimately ended in, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. He might have said at this point, Repent ye, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he didn't get the chance. Having heard that, 
Saul and others dragged that man out of the city and prepared to crush his skull with stones. And at that time, Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had thus said thus, he fell asleep. He died. I hope that I'm not putting words into his mouth or things into his heart that weren't really there. But I'm of the opinion that Stephen considered his physical life to be of little significance when compared to spiritual things. That's what to be filled with the Spirit is about. That's what spiritual mindedness is about. This was not a theological position that he held. It was something that Christians are uh, not only supposed to say, but to feel and, and believe and to live upon. This was genuine. This was Stephen actually revealing himself. To die? What's this? Let's just move on. His spirituality made him fearless to stand before Saul and these others. To kneel before them knowing that they are bringing these rocks in his direction. His, his spiritual life made him fearless when it came to his temporal life. Stephen didn't look at Saul and the others as his enemies. But as common sinners before God and in need of the same salvation that the Lord had given to him. They needed to hear that they were spiritually dead and lost in sin. So Stephen faithfully spoke out and we have a whole chapter of his message. They needed to see, as he did, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When Stephen eventually steps onto those special scales of the Lord, measuring his spirituality it will reveal that he didn't consider the things of this world to be all that important to him. He was spiritually minded. He was a spiritual man. Not even physical life is important when it appears God is saying, you know, you've served me well. It's time to move on. He said, I'm ready. Let's move on. Stephen died peaceably. At least as peaceably as those rocks allowed. Now let me take you back to the words of Peter. Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Looking through the uh, physical eyeglasses that I am forced to, to wear, that statement is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Haven't there been lots of people who followed that which is good, but who suffered greatly? Wasn't Job physically harmed by all that Satan threw at him? Wasn't Stephen physically, painfully slain? The man who was at the center of Stephen's execution was Saul of Tarsus, who eventually was saved and became Paul the Apostle. And what became of him? He testified to the Corinthians, 
I have been in prison far more than all of the rest of the apostles. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I've endured all of these things for the Lord, but what are they? Someone might accuse Paul of boasting, but that was not his intention. And one of the lessons is that after each one of these things that he was forced to endure, painful at the time, harmful apparently, he went on back to his ministry for the glory of the Lord. As I heard in a movie once, pain don't hurt. The more spiritual we are, the more that statement makes sense. And the more logical verse number 13 becomes. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? By the time Peter finishes his letter, he will have used the word evil nine times. And eight times he contrasts evil with the word good. The opposite of evil is Good. Can you be more specific, Peter? What good things are we supposed to do in order not to be harmed? He says, sure, I can tell you. Be, of all, be ye all of one mind. Have compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are called thereunto, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. These are the good things to which Peter refers in the very next verse. What are the good things we should do? But John Gill pulled some stuff out of the hat when I was reading his comments. Comments: Be gracious, be humble, be loving, be patient, be faithful to God. These are all good things. And then he referred to Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, that well-known scripture. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Do these things. These are good things. Do these things and you will not suffer harm. Meditate on these. Practice these. Well, those comments made me think of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The fruit of the Spirit is always good. Yeah. Always good. How can we share that delicious fruit with others? 
Well, that takes us back to Stephen. Filled with the Spirit of God. Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Despite living in fleshly bodies in a secular world, Christians know that they should bear the fruit of the Spirit. But it's one thing to know what we should do, and it's another thing to do it. It's one thing to be able to define all those words in uh, Galatians 5. To be, expl- to be able to explain what good things are. It's easy to do. But it's another thing to put them into practice. And why is it so difficult? Because we live in this flesh. Because we are by nature temporal creatures. Yes, regenerated spirit, but there is a conflict between those two. We are temporal. We are temporary. We are physical. Peter says, be followers of that which is good. The word he uses is mimetes. Mimic. Be imitators. I marvel at the way some of you can, it's not accurate, but you can pretend to speak with a German accent or a Jamaican accent or even an English accent. Uh, you do a good job. I, I have once or twice in the course of a message tried to put an accent in for one reason or other and failed miserably and given up. I'll never do it again. I'm just no good at that stuff. But some of you are. And others have the ability to speak with a second language. And it wasn't because you uh, took classes to learn that language. You just lived among those people and heard them speaking and you, you imitated it. The reason why I can't speak with an English accent is because I don't try to. I don't practice it. I don't mimic it the way others do. Without trying to rob the Holy Spirit of his importance in this matter, Christian, maybe you and I aren't as spiritual as we ought to be because we don't practice. We don't imitate. We don't mimic the Holy Spirit. I found that the majority of those who made comments in my library on this particular verse, go beyond the word mimic or imitator, saying that it might be better to use the word zealot. Who is he that will harm you if you be zealous followers of that which is good? And one of the commentators say, don't use the word adjective, don't use the adjective zealous. He recommended the noun, be a zealot. For good. Brother Berg was telling us yesterday about the European fans at Formula One racing. He basically said they go berserk at these race events. The way the British do at uh, football games. Go, just go crazy doing the stupidest things. The, the, the most... Uh, Imbecilic things. 
He described people as zealous for their sport. Peter is telling us to be as zealous as those people are, but this time, be zealous about what is good. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? I'm not going to keep you long this afternoon. Gill said in his comments, God will not harm you if you do that which is good. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous to protect and defend them. His ears are open under their prayers. Peter gave that to us in the context. He is on their side. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all these good things? Have you not read that all things are good to them who are called according to his purpose? And Christ will not harm anyone who is zealous for good. Remember that Christ is even at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He is ready to cheer us on in our struggle to do good in an evil world. God's angels will never become death angels toward Christians who are imitating good in their lives. They are encamped round about to minister to them. They are to protect us from evil and to encourage us in that which is good. And the law cannot do us any harm because it's now taken care of by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Oh, but what about Satan? His minions, like Saul of Tarsus, can't they harm us? What do you mean by harm? They certainly can't take away your soul. They certainly can't touch your salvation. That would be infinitely harmful, but it's impossible. And they can't even touch your body without the permission of the Lord. I see that in Job 1 and 2. On behalf of the Lord and our church, I used to go door knocking with Ken Johnson. He was mentioned in our testimony this morning. Every once in a while, we would find a really belligerent Calgarian. Calgary is in Canada, believe it or not. A belligerent Canadian. Sometimes they'd throw horrible words at us. I've had many a door slammed in my face doing door-to-door work with, with Brother Johnson. I don't know how many times, I don't know if either of you have heard this or not, I don't know how many times after one of those incidents, he would soon say, they can kill you, but they can't eat you. <laughs> I don't exactly know what that means. But I think he was trying to encourage me to go on. <laughs> Stephen, they can't kill you. They can kill you, but they can't really do you any real harm. Right. Basically, we, basically, we're looking at verse number 13, but the next couple of verses. If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Stephen proved ready to give an answer to them that uh, needed to hear from the Lord. 
Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Later on, didn't Paul express his shame at what he had done to the early church? Doesn't come out specifically and mention Stephen, but he, I'm sure Stephen was in the back of his mind for the rest of his life. What have I done? What a terrible thing this was. Were the children of Job also children of God? I don't know for sure. I would like to think that they were. Toward the end of his life, Job is now an elderly, very elderly man. His first family has been buried for a long time. Toward the end of his life, after the Lord gave to Job another family and a great number of other blessings, did he ever think back on those children? I'm sure that many times those thoughts brought a little black cloud into the room and sat over his head. But he could also say with Paul, you know, it all worked together for good. They lost their lives. Were they harmed? If they were children of God, they were not really harmed. Was Job harmed? Oh, in one sense we might say he was. But he could agree with Solomon who said, The Lord does love him that followeth after righteousness. I've often wondered if Peter had the privilege of reading some of Paul's epistles. I think I've said that several times. You'll probably hear it many, many more times. I don't know that it's really necessary because the Holy Spirit was the author of Paul's epistles and Peter's epistles as well. But doesn't the exhortation in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 sound like Peter? See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. Sounds like 1 Peter chapter 3. David said in Psalm 38, They that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. In Austin's lesson this morning, there was a reference to Good. There is also a reference to God. Uh, isn't God good? Isn't following God following goodness? I can't look into the future to see the judgment of any of these men. And I suppose that it really doesn't matter. How will Stephen be honored by the Savior? That's ultimately between Stephen and his God. What's important to me personally is when I step onto that scale. What will it say about my spiritual condition? I hope that uh, I will rise. I have my doubts. What about you? To what degree are you spiritual mm -hmm. as opposed to temporal, mm -hmm. secular? Those who are spiritual and who truly follow after the Lord and that which is good know that nothing can really harm them. Nothing can harm them. And if they suffer for righteousness' sake, like Stephen did, Peter says, this is something to be happy about. 
They aren't terrified at the scowl of Saul, even when he's picking up a boulder, because they have sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. These are the exhortations that we should consider as children of God. Please stand.